Well, good morning. How are you today? We get to light our third candle of the Advent season, and just as this family, the Ball family, is sharing their doing in their own family, we'll collectively, as a church, light this third candle, and that's the candle of joy. And so we're going to focus on that this morning. Here's what I'd like you to do, and then I'm going to share with you a little bit about uh, joy or the word for joy, uh, and then we're going to come back to this outline uh, at windoverhills.org slash bulletin. If you have your phone or your tablet and you'd like to follow the outline, I want to walk you through... Uh, quite a few things uh, practically too about joy. Now I'm not going to walk through the whole outline so you'll see on there there's some stuff for your own devotional time this week uh, as well. Um, But while you're finding that and get to that, I want to share with you a little bit about this word joy. So for most of us, we'll ask a question, what do you have to be joyful of? Do you do that maybe around the table, Thanksgiving or Christmas or those type of times? You might ask your kids, what do you have to be thankful for? It's a great question to ask I'm interested in the answering. I think without us trying to, most of us, myself included, our knee-jerk response will center somewhat around our situation in life, our circumstances, or maybe even uh, what we've recently received, maybe materially or, or, or whatnot. And as we look at God's word this morning, I want to maybe say, I think God's word challenges this concept. I think it actually challenges us to share something else about joy and about happiness that goes much deeper and actually is much broader than maybe our answer to that question. So there's a couple words for joy. One in the Bible, in the New Testament, is this word shara. It's a Greek word. And it simply means what I just said, joy or happiness is actually the word uh, that is kind of used in substitution at times in the New Testament. But if you look through the different passages, you would get the context. It'd be pretty clear that there is, this is kind of happiness based on spiritual realities. There's some connection between God, who God is, the Holy Spirit, something like that when it comes to this word shara, this word for joy. So happiness based on some spiritual realities or spiritual revelations in our life. And then there's another word. It's a makari oi. Oi. You want to say that with me? Oi. Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, that's the end of the word, so you can have fun with that. But this actually basically means happy or blessed. So a lot of the times you see the word happy or blessed, we get this type of word. These words are kind of used on top of each other and and sometimes substituted for one another. And they make up this joy family of words in the New Testament that describe what God's talking about when he's talking about joy. You might have remembered back, maybe you grew up in youth group, remember a kid's lesson where they said, well, happiness is this, but joy is down here, joy. And we understand what we're communicating and what we're teaching. Happiness is not just based on whether I feel good today or not. It's much deeper, and we call that joy. But when you use biblical terms, they actually interchangeably use these words, joy, happy, blessed, those different words. So that's kind of what we're working on today. And this word happy that I just read to you, this actually means happy or blessed, and it comes from the position from God's favor. So the position you're in based on God's favor upon your life. Remember, in past messages, we have made sure we debunk the idea that God's favor is based on your circumstance or your material possessions. That's not God's favor. God's favor is that he gives you and I his presence, his real presence to dwell with and live with every single day. 
And he does that even more tangibly in the person of Christ and then for you and I today in the Holy Spirit in our life. That is the favor of God upon us. So take these words and understand that this joy, happy, bless means when spiritual realities come into our life or we have these spiritual revelations and they're tied to us understanding the favor of God in our life. And this opens up this pathway or door for joy. Now, if you just put those together in your head, you just did your own two plus two, you might recognize that God's joy is very, very different than human happiness. It's very, very different than the commercials you've been watching for Christmas, the advertisements. I mean, going out into your driveway, you know, and there's your, you know, your beautiful Lexus with the big red bow on top. Where do they even get those bows? I have no idea. Um, you know, but that, that's kind of our, our human thinking is that the next gift or the next thing that's going to come or... I give a gift and I have happiness by seeing this gift. Either way, um, it's a different form and view of joy or happiness there. God's joy is different than that. And that's what we're looking at. As a believer, this is what we're saying this morning. This different kind of joy, this God's joy we're talking about, is available to you right here, right now, today. It's available. He offers it to us in himself. So let's just look at this, uh, jumping on the outline. If you've got there, if you want to follow that. If not, take a look at it later. It'll be on the screen for you on the bottom of your screen at home this morning. What is joy? What is this all about? Let me just share uh, three quick things here, and then we're going to get practical. Um, Joy isn't everywhere, or isn't elsewhere. Joy is here. It's an important thing to think about because we kind of think of, well, joy is out there somewhere, you know. People are experiencing it, or it's in something, or it's in some situation or some level I can reach in my life. It's out there. In reality, it is here. Why? Because when we read God's word, what we understand, especially in the two definitions we just gave of those words for joy, happiness, and blessed, we find that God's joy is tied, first and foremost, to the presence of God, that joy is tied to the presence of God. So when we read the New Testament and we understand that these people had joy or this blessedness, it is so often tied to the presence of God, God in your life, God's availability to you. Remember the passage, Jesus came and in the gospel actually says in Matthew, Jesus came preaching. And it was kind of like an announcement saying Jesus is now on the scene He's, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's sharing. Do you remember the very first thing that Matthew quotes that Jesus taught? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, we've over and over said in different teachings, just so we understand, that the word repent, repent does not simply mean, you know, stop sinning. But the word repent means even broader, anything that is preventing us from experiencing this free gift of God's presence in our life We need to turn from that. Sin certainly falls into that category. Sometimes, though, those things we don't call sin fall into. Sometimes our schedule alone falls into this category. And this repent, repent. The presence of God is here. It's real to you. So repent and step away from anything that's preventing that. The second part of that verse says, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, if you're like me, for years, I just, without study, I just read it the way I thought it in my head, and I defined it that way, and I thought the kingdom of heaven is near in the sense of it's coming. One day it'll be here. Like one day I'm going to die and go to heaven, right? 
It's near. In the grand scheme of eternity, my lifetime would be pretty short. So the kingdom of heaven is near. It's here. It's, you don't have to wait too long. It's coming soon. But that's not really what Jesus is getting at when he speaks about this. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is a proximity passage. This is Jesus saying, look, the kingdom of heaven, the realness, the presence of God is near you. It's around you. It's here right now. Proximity-wise, it's available to you. And that's what he's saying. Look, when we repent, when we turn away from anything that would prevent us from experiencing the presence of God, the presence of God is right there to be experienced. Don't repent and then, man, yeah, just wait a while. If you can hang on 30, 40, 50 years, depending on your age, and, you know, when you pass on, you'll get to experience it. It's right here, right now, available to you. That's, that's tied to joy. I mean, you understand that that being this, this open door to people experiencing a deeper contentment and fulfillment in their life to know especially in Jesus's day when this was often closed off to many people, especially those disenfranchised. Listen to what the psalmist says. He says, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with, your pre- with, with you in your presence. That here, it's his presence that's tied to this pathway of life, this joy we're talking about here. The second thing to understand is that joy isn't found by us. It's actually sent to us. Now, we like these journey stories, right? We, we love movies and where people go on a journey in life, seeking something, trying to find something. You know, I, I suppose a lot of our Christmas movies are even about that as well. This, this desire to be on a journey or search for joy or contentment or fulfillment in life. One of the little movies I love is, is called uh, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Maybe you've seen it. It's based on a short story I read back in, in middle school. And I loved it because from right away, you could sense that this character, like there was something. It's a good guy, right? You liked him right away, but you could sense something was missing. There was some journey or search or hoping to find. And, uh, you know, without ruining the movie, there's this revealment of that that's, uh, that's kind of like, oh, wow, at the very end of the movie. We love movies like that. We love stories like that. But God is actually saying, look, you don't have to go on that. You don't have to write that kind of story. That God is saying, I'm right here, right now, available to you. And in my presence, there is joy, contentment, a fulfillment in life. He does this one better because we know it's Christmas season. That he actually goes further to say, I'm going to send myself, my son, to you in the incarnation that I might dwell with you and teach you. And, and uh, we know in a short life, just dramatically change the world. Listen to Luke chapter 20 in the, in the Christmas story. I bring you good news of what? Great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Like if God is the source of joy, his presence, and he even extends it into a relationship with his son who he sends to us, shouldn't we just turn our face to look to him? And if there's any seeking involved, shouldn't it be a seeking God daily? You've heard me use the phrase many times. It's embedded on my heart from, from a, a book I read many years ago this pursuit of God, to wake up and pursue God daily. In the reality, it's just a term. We don't have to pursue very far at all. In fact, 
really no distance because God is right there. His presence is there. His son is there to have relationship with us right here, right now. So he sends this to us. What does he call this? This is good news. It's a good story. We use the word gospel to describe that. But he says this is of great joy. Christ has come. I don't know if you're like me, but I celebrate that. It's Christmas season, right? We find joy in that. We find, you know, proclamation in that, worship in that. We sing the songs of that, right? But somewhere, somehow, I allow myself, and maybe you do too, to kind of slip back in without me even knowing or trying into looking around at my circumstances, to looking around on what's going on in my life. And certainly those things affect me, but somewhere I just almost, without thinking, allow those to start to define what amount of joy I can really experience. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm talking about? Do you slip into that? Just kind of where we go. Now we know, we would say the phrase, and it's point three here, joy isn't found in circumstances. It's actually lived out in our choices, what we choose to do choose to follow God and how we do that. Look at, uh, at Psalm chapter 4, verse 7. It says, you have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. What's he saying? Look, when they had all the grain they needed, when they had all the wine they wanted, right, you still gave me more joy than that. My joy was even above that. It would make sense to us that if those are in good times, that in the bad times, when God says in his word, he ministers to us close and loves us, that we have this opportunity for our joy to still abound. It's not found in the full silos of grain. It's not found in the empty silos of grain. That there is a God who brings joy in his presence. There's a passage that's really significant to my family. You won't find it in the notes this morning, so just let me read it to you. It's found in James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy. Have you heard this before? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you what? Get lots of good things of many kind. No, you know it doesn't say that. When you face trials of many kinds. No matter what you're going through, consider it joy. And so we've kind of reduced this so we have this little slogan on our wall, and it's just simply the words, choose joy that we believe you can choose joy, that God's word is actually teaching us that even in the midst of these difficult times, trials that we face or lacking by what we would see as world standards, that there is joy to be had. Why? Because I'm finding my joy in the presence of God, in the gift of his son, not simply in circumstances. Look at what the psalmist, or excuse me, the the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 10. The prospect of righteousness is joy, but the hope of the wicked come to nothing. When we choose joy, and how do we choose joy? We choose this life of righteousness. Now, hang on a second. Before you think a life of righteousness is actually creating a list of do's and don'ts, and just follow all the do's, and that's righteousness. Follow all the don'ts, you know, and that's the wickedness he talks about. It's so much richer and deeper than that, that a life of righteousness is saying, I, get, I actually get to experience joy engaging with the presence of God. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to go duplicate what the presence of God is. I'm going to go live that out, live what I've learned and how he's, how he's taught me or transformed me. I'm going to live that out, his ways. I'm going to look at things, his ways. That's a life of righteousness. 
And it says a life of righteousness is what? It's joy. Joy comes with living out, living out the presence of God in our life. But the opposite way, it actually uses the word nothing. Nil, it's nothing there for us. I know you got to fight it. I do too. When you look around and you see somebody that you might describe, and I know you don't want to judge, but you might describe as um, more on the wicked side, right? And yet they seem to have all they want, all they could have. You know, they've got their money and they've got their houses and cars and their fame and all these kind of things that, that we might strive for, you know? But I think if we were to step back and see it from a different perspective, if we were to spe- step back and understand the joy from spiritual revelation, from the favor of God, we might see, wow, they've traded a lot in the end for nothing, for nothing. So that would lead us to the question, uh, when you choose joy, when you choose this life, when you choose to say, I want my source of my joy to be in the presence of God, in the gift of his son, what does this do for you? You know, like, what does this look like in your life practically? Well, one thing uh, right away, it causes you to reevaluate or to evaluate your actions. Like what you actually do and say is going to look different when you choose this type of life. Where you go or what you do, checks and balances, you might call them. Like recently, uh, just about two weeks ago, I got on a scale at my house in my bathroom, and I'd weighed more than I've ever weighed in my life, right? And I looked down on that, and I went, oh, gosh. Now, I knew I was creeping up towards the number, but until I actually saw the number on the scale, it didn't quite do enough for me. I, I'm going to tell you, it didn't do enough for me. I could hang on for a couple hours, but, you know, somewhere around lunch, you know, it didn't matter anymore. But this kind of jolted me a little bit, seeing this, this number on the scale and thinking, you know, wow, you know, it's not like I've grown any taller. You know, it's not like I could say, you know, well, I'm another inch, so I get another 10 pounds. Or, you know, no, if anything, I feel a little shorter. So, so I was like, oh, man, I got to do something about this. This is what normally happens when I do something about it. You have heard me many times. I've said I'm starting a diet tomorrow. Yes, thank you, because you don't start a diet on Sundays. You have to start on Monday right? Unless it's a holiday, and then you can skip over to Tuesday. So, um, and you got to be careful about what day of the month is. It needs to be, you know, the first is the best. So, um, so this time I said, okay, I'm, I, I got to just crank in, start right now. But this is how it works for me. Um, the next day I'll do great. I mean, I'll have a really good solid day. Let's say, let's call it a Monday. I mean, there'll be oatmeal, you know, there'll be half a turkey sandwich. There might be a salad at dinner time. I'll be fantastic, right? Then the next day, you know, maybe I'll skip breakfast because I don't want another bowl of oatmeal, right? But somewhere around lunchtime when I'm here, uh, Pastor Anderson might say, hey, you want to do lunch? Or I might say, you want to do lunch? And, and right away, those voices pop up, you know, like burger and fries, you know, pizza, you know, buffet, you know, well, something like that. And sure enough, just like that, a day and a half in and, and you know, like it wins out. And I'm like, well, I blew it today. <laughs> might as well wait till next Monday and we'll try it again, you know, that but so this is what I decided to do, is I'm going to call my friends up, and I'm going to talk to about four or five of my closest kind of guy friends and just say, listen, I need you to hold me accountable on this, so um, I want you to, to ask me, you know. And then I was like, take the kids' gloves off, too. Like, really, you know, like, come at it. Ask me numbers, you know, come over and pat my belly. You know, whatever you need to do to, like, drive the point home that uh, um, I, I, I need to do this. 
that's my checks and balances. That's in place. I'm regretting it a little bit because they're taking a serious on that. I also want to tell you, I've got those guys in place, so I don't need any more help, just in case you were starting to feel motivated that maybe you wanted on that list. So I'm good. Checks and balances. Like, like this is actually joy. Living in the presence of God is a checks and balances on our life. It actually speaks to us. And it actually reevaluates what we're doing, like how I'm spending my time, how I speak and what I say. And I reevaluate my actions because now this, this, core, this core value of seeking joy and being connected with the presence of God, that that's the source, that's very, very different than the circumstances, than looking at circumstances. Because if I'm just looking at circumstances, I'll strive in all kinds of ways to do things and gain things. And God says that's not what it's about. So it helps. Take a look at Colossians. And whatever you do, whether in word or what, indeed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Doing it in the Lord, all of our words, all of our deeds. I mean, I know, uh, you know, we come and we praise and we, we listen to, to Christian music and hear a message. And there are times where it feels real good and we go away feeling like, man, I just feel like the Holy Spirit just spoke and was powerful this morning. And that's wonderful. I absolutely believe the Holy Spirit does that. But if we walk out of here and we don't really do anything about it in word and deed, it is almost like we've bought into that human way of saying when it feels good or it feels powerful, there's something there. When it doesn't feel, it doesn't, there's not quite anything there the same. Where Nehemiah, if we look back, reminds us the joy of the Lord is what? It's our strength. Like the joy of the Lord is actually our strength to go out and now do. It transforms us. It empowers us to go live life and make decisions differently. Second thing I think joy does here is that it causes you to extend your witness. Now, there's no way around it. The bottom line is joy actually propels you to share. It propels us to share. In fact, joy, you could say it this way, propels us to speak. Like when we have joy, when there's just this, this, this real energized joy, like we want to share with somebody else. Like if you're a, a, a grandparent here today, can you remember when your first grandchild was born? Like did you go around and say, yeah, it's not a big whoop. I mean, some grandkid, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know it was so welled up within you. Like you were calling people, you were texting people, you were posting things you wanted everyone to know, and you started to rattle off names in your head that you were going to share this with that you might not have talked to for a long time. That's what joy does. It propels us to share. New job, you know, we even do it for like movies we watch that we really like, right? We get all excited about a movie and we want to share that with someone else. I think one of the reasons most Christians don't share Christ is because our joy has just been so squelched. Like we've almost developed kind of a human form of Christianity where Jesus is, you know, he's the head, at least, you know, he's where he's up here. That's what we say. But we try to live out our days almost like we're still buying into this human philosophy. Circumstances dictate happiness or not, you know, I got to build more, gain more, whatever the situation may be. But what God is saying here is when we understand the source of our joy is the presence of God living in that relationship with Christ, it actually extends our witness. It actually sends us out to want to share 
with others. Listen how the, the shepherds responded when they had seen, uh, seen him, Jesus. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. It was like an ingenious move that, that God would use the shepherds to come from all different uh, fields. And then they would see Jesus. And then guess what? They're going to take their flock to the different town and the different town and the different town. And everywhere they go, they shared. Why? Because they were in amazement. They had such joy with what they experienced. And so it spread just like that. And we have this opportunity to do the same thing. Extend our witness. You don't need to get a box and stand on a street corner to share. If you want to, go for it. I'm fine with that. But you're not even being asked to do that by the Lord. Just being asked to share with people your source of joy when opportunities arise. Finally, it, it causes you to energize your worship. Like your worship of God is actually energized. It's, it, it's deepened our worship When joy is at the center, when we understand our joy is found in the presence of the Lord, we know that night the shepherds, it says, returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. They went and and they saw it, and they went glorifying and praising. Listen, I'm not talking about if you come in on Sunday morning and we're singing and you feel like, oh, I got to raise my hand and sway and stuff. You know, if I'm not doing that, I'm not really worshiping. Like, it, it, that's wonderful. I love when, I, when people do that. But you might be sitting there and you might just not be expressive. You might just say, look, I'm not an expressive person I'm in church or elsewhere, you know. But there's something rich, deep going on in your heart of worship. That's what we're talking about. That's what this understanding of joy in the presence of God does for us. It actually deepens our worship. We worship him in and through everything we do and everything we're about, we find avenues to worship. Have you ever taken something and you almost lose sight of what it's there for in your life, the blessing it's been in your life? Maybe it's shelved in your garage or maybe it's there and you use it, but you just like complain about it all the time. We do that sometimes even in our walk with God. But when we understand where this source of joy is coming for in the presence of God, it energizes our worship. We see things totally different. We acknowledge God differently. Paul writes about this. He's speaking to this little town in Thessalonica, and he's sharing with the new believers. And they were fairly new, these believers, so don't think they were like 20-year veterans of the faith. They were new, and he was giving them some practical advice. And he says this, be joyful always. Man, we could stop there. There's the challenge, right? I mean, he puts it in a pretty direct, almost command form. Could you take that as all you need to hear and say, oh, be joyful always. That's in the Bible. Done deal. I'm doing that. Yeah, we want to. It's hard, isn't it? But he's saying that. And how do do you do that? He says, look, pray continually. Give thanks to all in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God, what God wants in your life, that you would give thanks. You would pray Always. Now, it doesn't always mean you have to stop to have kind of what we think is a prayer posture. Just talking with God all day long, continually conversing with him. Finding thanks in everything in front of you. Everything you have, finding an angle to offer thanks changes us entirely. He is saying this is like a pathway to being joyful at all times. So this is what I do. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to give you the opportunity to just... 
just quietly do a little business with God on this, especially if circumstances have dictated. I also recognize that during the Christmas season, it's not the easiest time for many people to be joyful. It's hard. You think about losses you've had in your life, somebody that won't be at the dinner table or around the tree. This year especially, the inability for us to gather the same as we've done in the past will look different. And there'll be a real chance for us to think joy is not available to us because of that. I want to challenge you otherwise on what we've learned this morning, that God's presence is still real and available, and he offers within it his real the real depth of his joy. So let's pray. Father, I want to thank you just for the opportunity to once again look at one of these core, these core principles, these core values you offer our life in joy. And Father, I don't think there's a single person out there that doesn't long for joy, would refuse joy if it was offered. Today, Lord, you say, I offer it. I offer it in my presence. I offer it through my son. And you can live it out every day through the Holy Spirit in your life. Father, I pray this morning would be a morning where if anybody has checked their spirits, whether here or at home, has just checked themselves and said, yeah, I'm tied to circumstances. Like you, you probably don't go around and say that. But you know, if you just kind of look and you evaluate it, you'd say, I'm mostly tied. My joy or happiness or what I think is a blessing is tied to circumstance. Could this morning, could God convince you otherwise? Would you be willing to just receive that, a different truth about joy? It might take for you just a little bit of discipline to begin. Discipline that you're going to grit your teeth and say, no, I'm choosing a different path. I'm choosing a different way of understanding this. But the Holy Spirit will meet you within that. And it becomes something beautiful and something we could never do on our own. Would you let God just start that in your heart at this moment? Father, we thank you for whatever testimony you're going to draw, whatever life you want to transform. In your son's name, amen.